Got it. There we go. We are recording. We are speaking with the one and only <laughs> Billy Sheehan of uh, Sons of Apollo, of Mr. Big, of well, pretty much everything that's kind of cool. Especially, uh, by the way, I just got to say the uh, the, the uh, David Lee Roth Yankee Rose, one of the greatest songs ever recorded. Just, just going <laughs> to throw that out there. Well, uh, but uh, bonjour, as we say in Montreal. Well, uh, good to see you again, Mitch, and uh, thanks for your kind words. I've been, uh, I just got back from LA working on the new Winery Dogs record, and yeah, so I'm, I'm back up and running here in Nashville. So, yeah, that, Reco- that's recording a lot in my home studio. So, it's all here, good. Before we get into the whole lean into it 30th anniversary, because it is one of those seminal records that needs to be discussed, dissected, uh, appreciated, etc. What is the uh, sort of the schedule for the uh, winery dogs? I saw on, I guess, one of the socials, Facebook or Instagram, there was pictures of you and the guys out on the hills in the sun. And uh, is that something that you're planning to put out in 2021? Are you taking it slow and it's 2022 and you need to have a tour with it? Or like, what's sort of the, the, the thought process, especially in COVID times? Well, not much thought process we're just gonna <laughs> let nature take its course okay which is uh a lot of what we've done in the winery dogs we we got into me and mike and richie got into a room and just started writing and we did a session about a about a month and a half ago and then we did another session here just recently so uh but we like having no uh deadline right no no real plan so we uh but we got a bunch of songs for a record and we're doing the fine tuning on them now and it's looking good. So ASAP, I guess, is the only uh, the only accurate response to that. So as soon as we can. As soon as you can. And in terms of style, are you stretching out what the winery, uh, wine, I can't speak all of a sudden, what the winery dogs are doing? Or are, are you sort of going the ACDC route going, no, this is what we do. Let's give the fans more of what we do. What, what are we doing? Are we exploring? Are we Are we sticking to the formula? What are we doing? In my mind, it's pretty exploratory, and uh, I don't think we're uh, chained down to any one particular thing. Okay. Uh, uh, that That's probably up to a listener. Uh, being as the three guys, uh, myself, Mike, and Richie, uh, it's going to sound similar to what we've done before because it's us, but uh, there's already a couple of left turns within some songs, and uh, it's... it's uh, I like I don't like doing the sameness thing. I was discussing that with somebody recently about artists that changed everything and they still managed to survive, like David Bowie after Ziggy Stardust. We all love Ziggy Stardust and Spiders of Mars. The next thing you know, he stopped it and went on to something else, but he still managed to remain incredibly successful. Yeah. So, but some bands are doing the same thing they've done 40 years ago. We love it, uh, but uh, it is the same thing. Yeah, and, and but, but you're also in a privileged situation where you can go do Sons of Apollo, you can go do Winery Dogs, and and you can stretch your wings, you know, outside of the or with different projects. Um, before I get yeah, into lean to it, oh, go ahead. Yeah, that's helpful. Like even uh, I remember back in uh, in the '90s, I started a band called Niacin with Dennis Chambers on yeah. drums and Hammond B3. It was kind of jazz fusion uh, progressive thing and. That, so if I wanted to go crazy, that was my opportunity. So that was always cool to have. And uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm lucky to have a whole bunch of different bands I can work with. And uh, it's been interesting uh, recording for people in my studio here. Uh, people send me tracks and I play on them, wow. and they sent me the wildest, some of the more stylistically 
uh, out, out of out of my uh, uh, range completely. But I it was it was cool having to uh, reconfigure myself uh, mentally or musically to play you know everything from country to to electronic dance music to uh, blues slide guitar players and. Uh, female singers with piano and uh, all kinds of stuff. So I, I enjoyed it very much. So uh, within the winery dogs, we'll, we, we, we certainly will make a stretch. And I know uh, we, we, we went out to lunch and dinner every day together as we were working right. Had a lot of time to discuss w what we'd like to do. And, and uh, it was very much that we didn't want to be locked into one thing or painted into a corner. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Um, when we first, uh, met or first interviewed it was for compression the album uh, your solo uh, album in 2001 yeah. it, it, and your last solo album is 2009 is that something that still interests you to still do billy albums and just be out there doing your thing with no sort of expectations or yeah yeah absolutely yeah uh well uh, here in uh nashville i'm uh dear friends with uh, ray lugier who played drums on uh, i love ray ray's the greatest oh. So great. He's out with corn right now yeah. and he's a dear friend. And uh, we've, we've already sketched out a whole bunch of things. So I'll probably use him. We were just oh. going to do drum and bass, but we may, but I, but I also want to do a, a, a consider yourself warned. I'm going to, I'm going to sing again. So <laughs> <laughs> I know how to clear a room out. I just uh, get to that microphone and watch them run. So wow. I'll, be, I'll be doing some singing uh, on, on some tracks too. So. We'll and see what and who who comes in on guitar, or is it just going to be sort of a, a rhythm rhythm section kind of thing? Uh, we've had no guitar in mind, just bass and drums, pretty much. Really? But, yeah, mm. yeah. So uh, we may do some orchestration or some other things in there too, but it's just a wild ass bass and drum uh, explosion. <laughs> it's some pretty oh, wow. pretty crazy stuff. So, what? but we'll see. But I can do guitars on it too, and then we have a, a great engineer. Uh, uh, Scott, who used to play with the Nixons, he's a great guitar player also. Oh, wow. So we, we, we use him for anything we'd need to. That'd be cool. That, we'll that's see. actually kind of cool. And as soon as you say Ray Luzier, you know quality is happening. And then you say Billy Sheen, you know, wow, extra quality is happening. So that this is going to be phenomenal. <laughs> um, so let me ask you this then. So, so if there's no guitar, do, do you sort of go the Tom Peterson way and, and pull out the 12-string bass that can really sort of give you all kinds of textures and, and stuff? Or... Funny you should mention that, but I do have, it's not in this room, I, I got a uh, Music Vox 12-string bass. Oh, wow. And Because uh, you can sort of fake a guitar with one of those. It's so of. amazing. You just play one note, yeah. and it sounds like a song is being written. It's yes. amazing. It's, it's just so cool. And uh, I'm having, a, I'm having I'm, I have my eye on a couple other 12-string basses, too. Now, I don't want to encroach upon the wonderful and supremely talented Tom Peterson or Doug Pinnock on the on, on their uh, uh -huh. on their trademark uh, sounds, but it's so awesome. And I've always been a sucker for twelve string guitars, double strings, and eight string bass, double string. So uh, now that I've got a a uh, uh, twelve string bass, it's quite awesome. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to do something for that. I mean, it, this is the silly question because you are a professional bass player, but is the 12 string a challenge? Like, do you have to learn it new or do you, you just, you know how to play and you just play? It just requires a little adjustment because your fingers are pushing down three instead of one. So you got to kind of flatten your finger out a little bit. And the plucking is pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. I uh, I initially uh, had a, an eight string bass made and I thought, well, let me put the, normally the the fat string 
right. is here, and the two uh, lighter octave strings are above it. Uh, so when you pluck, sometimes you miss them. So I thought I should tr put the string on the other side. Turns out that's not true. You you hit it perfectly fine when it isn't. So the A string bass I got is odd because it's got it on the other side, and I love it, but it's hard to play. So the 12 string, uh, when you're plucking it, just as is, your fingers brush across those uh, octave strings in the perfect way, and it makes just just amazing, amazing sound. It's quite quite awesome. Music Vox is the company, and they they're, they make some uh, really cool, crazy looking. Uh, instruments but really cool plays great already comes with double output so i, oh, I, wow. I don't didn't need to adjust much but uh if you if you do a google search it's, it's a great little company oh i will google search them and, and, and i gotta say uh, being a cheap trick fan that sound is just oh man well i went to gretch made him right. a beautiful uh 12 string bass and we and we a friend of mine knows one of the guys that works there. So at a NAMM show, the last NAMM show, NAMM show that they had, uh, I went and I said, Do you know that uh, 12 string bass you make for Tom? Any, any chance uh, okay, you can <laughs> throw one my mate? <laughs> I, and I offered to pay. I said, you know, what, we know whatever it costs. You know, he goes, nah, we just make it for Tom and it's going to be a lot of money. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, really? I'll, I'll, I'll wait till uh, uh, uh I uh, have uh, some source of uh, that kind of money again, and I'll. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize they made them exclusively just for him. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't believe they're for sale to the general public. You, well, you could buy one, but it'd be about twelve or fourteen thousand bucks. Yeah, well, I'd rather send my kids to, to college. Quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, buy a uh, car, maybe get a car. Yeah, get a new car, pay the rent. <laughs> Listen, uh, I just, I they just. Are, uh, they're they're worth it. They're spectacular. It's beautiful. I've always loved Gretsch as a company, anyway. So, I just I just had the uh, the bathroom downstairs um, priced for renovation, and they told me forty three thousand. So I'm like, yeah, maybe wow. I'll keep you for that. Not a, not a yeah, I might wait on that. I might wait on that. Um, <laughs> but before we get into lean to it, and I keep saying before we get into it because I keep delaying. But your friend and ours, uh, and a friend of mine, Phil Nero, passed away earlier this year. Sadly, um, sadly, and, and he had contributed something to a, um, a Kiss tribute record that I did that raised money for a palliative care home because my wife had gotten my wife's father had passed away from cancer, and he was one of the first ones to run and say, "I'm going to help you with this." Wow, that's Phil. That's Phil, and that's he's Phil. just he's just he was just the kindest, kindest soul. So, any words about Phil? Just to remember, sorry, I'm getting goosebumps as I'm saying that. Wow. Um, yeah, Phil, Phil was just, uh, I mean, I mean, look at these goosebumps. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he was, a, Phil was a, just a wonderful guy, a great singer, one of the easiest people I've ever worked with in my life. Yeah. You know, just never a problem, never any trouble, it's cooperative. Yeah, he just wanted uh, to sing. Yeah, and he had a great voice. And uh, we finished the Talos record, yeah. and it's just been mixed uh just finished with covid it took, everything took a long time because everything had to be done remotely and he sang in toronto while i we had a zoom for for talk back as he was singing he and i could talk back and forth about you know what how to do what and then on my music computer which is out off screen right now it was a, a program called audio movers and i could hear in real time with no delay what was happening in toronto so we managed to do all the vocals like that. And Phil wow. really, really stepped up to the plate. He killed on the vocals. So that new Talos record is uh, 
just about ready to finally do the last steps before it's available. And I really, I don't care about anything other than Phil's legacy on that right. record. That's, and he sang his ass out. We, Mark Miller on drums, unbelievable. We had Mitch Perry come in and guest on wow. two. Mitch is great. great. Super great. We're very thankful to him for that. But uh, it's that, that, that record is about Phil's legacy. You know, I, I love Talos and all my years and everyone that ever played in it. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, configurations of Talos, but that last one there, having Phil, it was just uh, having him sing these songs again. We went back and we took all the old songs from 1985 when I left and we thought, well, we could rewrite them and spice them up. And I said, you know what? Let's leave them just the way they were. Like you went back in a little time machine and that's what we did. And that's exactly how we approached it. So, uh, it's uh, we're very pleased with the record and very pleased that Phil's voice is prominent front and center and a fitting tribute to his legacy. So uh, what a wonderful, wonderful man. I saw I went back to visit his mom and uh, she's, you know, in her 80s and Italian lady. And it was so touching because she just kept saying, you know, why, why didn't why didn't why didn't God take me and leave my son? Unbelievable. Yeah. And it was a sweet, wonderful lady, and he's surrounded by great people. And I'm glad to have known him, and supremely glad to uh, do my best for him on this new record, so that it it uh, his legacy is cemented. Is um is that going to be sort of a a difficult record to put out? Because every time you hear the voice, it's just going to bring you back. Is is it is it going to be sort of emotional? I mean, you're 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 listening to it now, and and well, it's got to be difficult. Yeah, I you know, would, I would it, cry. Yeah, I, I understand that that moment will probably come. Okay. But as we're working on it, it's almost like Phil is still here. Yeah. And so you don't really get the idea. You don't you don't get that, uh, that that we've lost them. And uh, uh, Russ McKay, the engineer up in Toronto, did a wonderful job uh, on mixing and getting Phil to the mic and making it all happen. Uh, so we, we work together back and forth on all the mixes and uh, you know, we, we just, it's kind of a joy to open up a Pro Tools file and hit play and hear what, uh, hear Phil again, you know, it's like he's not even gone, but that, that will hit home, I'm sure. Right home. And, and, and on, and on the positive side, you did get a chance to capture it, you know, Had you yeah. said, no, let's make an album in 2022. It never would have happened. And now you got yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, and sadly, I hate to say it, but just in time, as soon after the record was done, he took a turn for the worse. And and I I I remember I was recording in El Paso, Texas, and I saw the phone ring, and I saw who it was. This woman, Lisa, who's take care of all the Talos business in Rochester. Lisa is on a wonderful lady. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I thought, "Uh oh, you get that feeling, huh?" Here we go. And sure enough, uh, we had just lost him. So it's a tough, tough break for the kid. What a great guy. Yeah. And, and again, it, from, for me, when my wife's father passed away from prostate cancer, he was the, one of the first to call to say, I'll donate a track, I'll donate this. Wow. And then to have him pass away from the same disease a few years later is just like, oh. Yeah, tough. It, 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 it was tough. It was it was tough for the family, and I, you know, and I had to tell my wife. I said, "Hey, you know that guy that helped out?" And <sighs> anyway, we shall remember I him. I get we it. Shall I shall remember it. him. Um, yeah, absolutely. Not to uh, to sound insensitive, but let, let's get over to lean into it for a second here. Sure thing. I understand. 
Uh, that record is seminal. You listen to the playing, you listen to the vocals, you, you have uh, To Be With You. It just, the whole thing was, was the perfect storm. Uh, talk to me about how that came. You know, the first one came out and people were like, ooh, we got a great new band. But the second one, you, you delivered the goods. You, you, you knuckled down and you said, yep, here we go. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Usually a band is together for years and years and years. They do their first record and it's the culmination of decades of work and mm -hmm. performing and fine tuning those songs. And then the second record comes along. They got six months to make that one. And usually that's a sophomore jinx, you know, it's a, as people call it, that second record is a, a tough one. If you can get the second record in there, you're doing good. Ours was kind of reverse in that we had just gotten together and we're finding ourselves for the first record. It went really well, really pleased with that record. But then we went on tour and tour and tour and tour all over the place. And, and we hit it hard, spent a lot of time together, a lot of tour buses, a lot of airports. So when we went in for Lean Into It, we were we were woven together pretty nicely as yeah. players and singers, so that, I think that was a, a, a contributing factor, and um, we just got together at Mates rehearsal in uh, North Hollywood, where e everybody Everyone. rehearses there. Yeah. Uh, it's just a little a little place. It's not fancy, but it's a Bobby Brunner who runs it. Just the most wonderful guy, and uh, David Bowie, Tom Jones, the Guns N' Roses, Real Illusions record, or yeah. what are the yeah, real use, use your use your illusions, and and yeah, of course there are not in this lifetime tours all been rehearsed at mates. Yeah, uh, everybody goes there. It's it's amazing. So uh, uh, so there we were in uh, in the room pounding it out and uh, figuring out what parts would go where. And uh, me, Pat, and Paul would sit and work for a while. Eric would fly in on the weekend, do some vocals, fly back. We'd work some more. And we got some great stuff and put to, came together very well. And uh, thank goodness for uh, Kevin Olson, our producer, really got it together, brought us up to Berkeley, uh, uh, California for Fantasy Studios, where uh, a lot of great, great records are made. I think all the Credence stuff was there, all the Journey stuff was there, or a lot of it. And uh, just a great place. And our manager, Herbie, was another really uh, important factor. Uh, we would renegotiate our deal with Atlantic and get us the highest royalty rates and the best. He was he held a gun to their head and he was just an expert at that. So we so he made life easy for us in in a way that we were the door was open for us to make the record the best record we could, and that's what we that's what we shot for. And uh, and you never know. We were on tour when that record came out. I forgot what the first single was, but it. It was out there and that it went away. Next single, eh, same thing. Next single, eh, same thing. And we're sitting thinking, you know, I, we're probably going to go back home and try another record, you know, see if we can make something happen because it just wasn't starting on fire. And then some guy in Lincoln, Nebraska, by the name of John Terry, started all on his own, playing to be with you. And it jumped all over the country and went crazy. And it was 100% organic success. We didn't have because Atlantic had kind of, you know, they, they had given up on you. They sloughed us off, you know. Even the even lean into it itself when it when we presented it to the label, they didn't want to release it. Really, so it's pretty amazing. But they did finally and uh, uh, reluctantly. <laughs> and then well, well, let and me then, ask you about that when they when they did uh, it because bands have their albums rejected all the time and then they go back in and they tinker with it. I mean that that's that's what happens. Did you actually go back and tinker with it and say, okay, because I see Jim Valance wrote on there and I love Jim. Did you say, okay, let's go talk to Jim. We need an extra song. Like, 
No. Or did you just say, you just kept throwing at him, like, no, this is the album, stop it. <laughs> just take it. Yeah, that's where the uh, management uh, comes Stuck in. in. Herbie just said he loved the record. That's the record. You're going to okay. put it out whether you like it or not. And uh, he managed. Fortunately, he's a powerful enough man to, to do that. Very rare to have someone like that. But man, he 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 made it. He made that band. <laughs> he he was the guy who made it happen, and uh, in so many ways. Uh, so yeah, we uh, it was a tussle, but eventually, <laughs> but that one to be with you hit. Then, when then they were our friends, so that was the cool. Door, oh. Doors wide open. Yeah, but we had one guy, Kevin Williamson was his name. He was our A and R guy. He was always on our side, and he was always fighting for us at the label, even at his own risk. Because you go back up a band that the label may not be into, that could be your job. They could say, "Well, you and the band can take a walk," uh, uh, literally. So, uh, you know, Kevin Williamson was uh, very, very important for us at Atlantic Records and did a great job of making things happen. Well, let uh, me ask you this about to be with you, and I'm going to preface it with a story of Doug Figure of the Knack. I, I was speaking to Doug once, and I said, "Man, the Knack, uh, my Sharona was the greatest thing ever." Blah, blah blah. And he said, "No, no, no, no." He says, "You don't understand. It was a golden albatross." And I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Mitch, it paid for the pool, it paid for the house, but every time we went to the record company with a new song, they would say, that's really good. We don't hear another my Sharona.'" And so it essentially crushed him. <laughs> because yeah. he, he had to be the My Sharona guy. And of course, Pat Torpy played with uh, the Knack for a while. Yeah. Um, did, uh, did the record, did, did To Be With You, the, the point is, was To Be With You just too big of a single where the record company on the, the next album said, uh, hey boys, could, could you make another To Be With You? They didn't specifically say we want another To Be With You. Uh, and I love To Be With You. It wasn't an albatross to us at all. I mean, it, was, right. it opened the doors to, a whole worldwide. We went to every country, number one in fourteen countries. We and I still love playing it. We look out, you know, in recent gigs in recent years, ten thousand people with some with tears of joy streaming down their face. And they they love the song. It's a wonderful thing. But we didn't have uh, too much pressure uh, when the next record came out. Bump ahead. Uh, they did want another song, another single, another uh, yeah. ballad. I should say. So we um, <laughs> all had a song that had do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It was this little guitar line in there. And, mm -hmm. and I remember thinking, but isn't that Wild World? Oh, yeah. So uh, uh, when, when they asked us about another song, I thought, let's do a remake of Wild World. And, and, and then we're, we're done. You know, we'll just let's give them that, and then maybe they'll, they'll stop bothering us. And uh, so we did. We had to raise up the key a bit because it was a little low for Eric to sing, and he did a spectacular job of it. Paul's acoustic playing, and the thing just went crazy. We had another hit uh, all over the world with that, so uh, uh, we, we lucked out with that. But, yeah, that was the only near to the scenario that you described that we had. They wanted something like that. And people also thought, well, you must hate that you got famous from an acoustic ballad. I go, I don't care. <laughs> we had a number one hit single. It changes your life. I don't care if it was a birthday song. But we really, it opened so many doors for us and got us in so many places. And we had so many people that were into the rest of the record because to be with you opened the door for them. So it was it was a blessing for, for us, I believe. Does 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 to be with you still sort of pay the bills in terms of it gets placed in commercials and it gets placed in movies? And it, it, is it one of those songs that just has an entire other life to it that you just sit back and go, come on? 
Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Uh, I, we, we'll go to some uh, far off exotic place, you know, and somebody in the airport. Were oh, you guys in a band? I go, yeah, yeah. Man, Mr. Big. They go, nah, no, I go, I'm the one. Oh, oh my God! You know, and and the people are running over and uh, you know hugging us and <laughs> it's a uh, and and when it was when it was uh, on the charts. We'd get on an airplane and the and the flight attendant would go, were well, you guys in a band? I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, Mr. Big, no. And we'd sing it to him. Oh, and they'd move us up to business class or first <laughs> class and free drinks. and that. So it was uh, it was amazing. Yeah. I, I wish everybody could have a hit single. I know that's yeah. impossible. But, man, it was just and so so many good, wonderful people, generous, that just loved the song and were so kind to us. It was an incredible thing. It is funny though that that Doug Feger though would suggest that a hit single is both a incredible blessing but also an incredible curse because yeah, you I remember. Artistic, you know? I remember another band that we were compared to a lot because they had the same situation. Uh, we played with them at an open air show in Germany, and after playing that particular big hit that they had in the civilization. Uh, the guitar player is a dear friend and I love him dearly, but he must've been having a bad day. He stormed off the stage and threw the guitar and I thought, Oh boy, they're getting tired of playing it. It's not a good thing, but I've never been tired of, uh, of, uh, of playing to be with you. I love playing it. And, yeah, I mean, as as a fan, I always look at bands and I hear some bands go, Oh, I can't stand playing that song anymore. You know, I go, but but your whole life you were you were working to have that song. <laughs> How can you? Anyway. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's, and, like, it's I, like it's like winning the Super Bowl and going. I don't want the stupid trophies. Like, but you <laughs> practiced all that time to get the damn trophy. <laughs> You're in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was a, an amazing thing. Fourteen oh. countries. Uh, wow. Uh, three weeks at number one. So it wasn't just a pop in and pop out. And plus Prince. And Michael Jackson both had songs ready to go into number one up way high in the charts because our manager, Herbie, would say, you know, when you're in the top 40, you're in shark infested waters. The top 20, <laughs> the sharks get bigger and the top 10, they get bigger, faster and uh, nastier <laughs> and nastier. And uh, so we uh, did a um, uh, uh, had an amazing uh, uh, situation that we managed to stay there for three weeks. And it was pretty cool. Here, let me let me finish with these two questions. Uh, first, uh, true or false? Addicted to that rush is Mr. Big's greatest song. Well, our manager Herbie loved that song. Is it? As soon as we presented him, that, that's what I hear. That's Mr. Big to us, and uh, so that was cool. Uh, yeah, it was a great debut song. I put on that album and I heard "Addicted to That Rush," and I went, "Baby, we're in. We're good." Great, great. Yeah, yeah. I'm very pleased with it. Uh, the whole band, that whole first record, I remember listening down to the whole thing, top to bottom, and saying, great. This, I'm so pleased with uh, how it turned out. I, I was very happy. But we came out at a time where it was a really crowded field. There was a whole bunch of guys that were in big bands, and then they broke off and started uh, yeah. their, own, their own new band. Yeah. And uh, there was a Badlands, Blue Murder. Contra uh, Contraband with Bobby Blotzer and Tracy Guns. There was. And and even under B in the uh, in the in the record bin, there was about twenty new bands. So it was a crowded field, and uh, most did pretty good. We all kind of ended up at the same level, but fortunately, we got a second chance to do another record, and it went well for us. But uh, 
yeah, it was a it was a crowded field we had. So that's my mm. that's my excuse for uh, well, <laughs> for yeah. for the first album not doing as good as we wanted. Addicted to that rush did make it onto my cassette mixtapes that I have downstairs, and I still have oh, right. some. So so there you go. Um, and then uh, last but not least, uh, Eric Martin, the singer, he is wild. I mean, he sings great, and and when he performs, and I've seen him perform with uh, different bands. You know, what's that one that does the opera stuff with Jeff Tate and um. Oh, uh, oh, I'm, I'm blanking. Chris, Christmas time. Uh, it's uh, I can't Aventasia. Remember. Aventasia. Oh, okay, yeah. And and he's just fantastic. And of course, he tells his uh, David Coverdale uh, chop suey chicken salad story all the time, which we love. Um, just uh, talk to me about him as a singer. I mean, is he is he tough to keep up with? Because he's wild and crazy and talented. Well, he. Uh, I was looking for a singer, and uh, Mike Varney. Yeah, who, who found Engve, put my first national uh, uh, press and guitar player, uh, Steve Vai, uh, Paul Gilbert, and all these guys. Mike Varney would find these great players and hook them up to each other. Actually, yeah. he brought Engve to America to start a band with me. It was going to be me, Engve, and uh, who's the Journey drummer that sings? Uh, Dean Castronovo. And Dean uh, from Wild Dogs. That was going to be the the band. Uh, the, I was in Buffalo and they were on the West Coast. It didn't work out, but that was the original idea. Really? So, so I stayed in good touch with Mike Varney a lot. He's a wonderful guy and he's been helping so many musicians. And uh, uh, I did the Tony McAlpine album with him, a Greg Howe album with him. Uh, and uh, so I said, yeah, I got this, I got a guitar player and a drummer, but I really want a singer that's, you know, not just a high screamer. We want somebody with, you know, got a real voice. And so he played me a few guys. And then, I said, and then one day he called me up and said, Check this out. And he played me Eric Martin over the phone. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Mm. Steve Marriott, Paul Rogers, a real singer who's really got some pipes. And uh, I went up to the uh, Herbie Herbert's office in San Francisco to have a meeting with him. It turns out, unknown to me, he was uh, associated with Herbie. Herbie had done a couple of deals for him. And so I thought, well, if Herbie manages it and he sings it, we're we're doing pretty good. We're golden. So, so we did. And... Uh, he came down, and I always said this about, well, I say this about a great singer. They take a, a C-minus song and sing it into an A-plus. You know, and just be such a good job at singing it that it, the song is now a better song than it was as, as a demo or whatever. And so we did our first demo in uh, L.A., and uh, I remember playing it for people, and they just loved it and loved his voice. And he's a, he's a, quite a quite a great singer, dear friend, and... Uh, Sadly, we lost Pat, as we know, and yeah. we don't know what the future of the band is going to be, but we're all in touch, and uh, if something happens, I hope it does, uh, I, I, you know, do a positive thing. We, we used Matt, Matt Starr on drums. On the, the, the we, we did a, a commitment of shows we had before Pat passed away, so Matt, we went out with Matt. It was great, and he was great, but, you know, we're looking at each other on, on stage, you know, this Pat isn't there, so it was it was tough, you know, so... We're not sure what we're going to do or if we're going to do anything, but I, I hope we do because I still love those guys very much. And uh, yeah, uh, I hope you do something. And I think fans would would understand, obviously. Sure. And, and 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 you know, and if Ray Luzier is not busy, no, um, <laughs> 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 no, no. But there you go. Uh, so uh, lean into it. Thirtieth anniversary out now, and uh, as always, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, merci. Great to see you again, Mitch. And thanks yeah. for. Uh, for uh, doing what you do, uh, you help a lot of musicians and a lot of bands out with uh, all your coverage of their shenanigans, and it's, it's always very much appreciated.
I, I love the shenanigans. I, I love that stuff. I'm, I'm totally enthralled with all this minutia. It, it, it's, it's fun. You know? Yeah, I follow you on Facebook and I always see you. it's always great and uplifting and positive uh, point of view. It's, it's very, very cool. It's yeah, very- I, don't, I don't like to get into the whole negative stuff. I just, you know, yeah. great album. And I, and I love throwing in The Mighty, The Mighty Mr. Big, The Mighty Def Leppard, <laughs> The Mighty Bon Jovi. But there oh, you go. Uh, merci, right monsieur. Have a, have a good day. Cheers. <laughs> Bye now. All right, All right, perfect. Take care. All right, good. Let me end that. All right, great. All right, um, Mitch, thank you so much. Yes, and uh, I'm going to, I have another interview at one with Glenn Hughes, so I'm going to get over to that. But uh, Oh, great. Give him my best. So what I a, will. What He's a great. voice. Probably the great. I did a, a Frank Sinatra tribute, and he, he sang, I've got you under my skin. And I've told people, I think this is the best vocal performance I've ever heard in my I life. I have that Frank Sinatra because there was a cheap trick. Uh, Robin Zander did it. Um, yeah. uh, Mr. Moonlight or uh, Robin was on that too, so I know I bought it. Oh man, it's just just amazing. And he came in and did about fifteen minutes. Wow. Hello, see you later. <laughs> he laid it down. But you know what? That's the best okay. way to record. I think what we've lost in in modern recording is that spontaneity and the vibe. And you look back to the Beatles and Black Sabbath, and and there's mistakes all over. They're out oh, of yeah. time. They're they're ahead of the beat. They're behind the beat. There's, but we love it like that. Exactly. Mike Portnoy just. Uh, pointed out when the, the beginning of uh, uh, Brown Sugar, yeah, the speed compared to the end, and they speed up. They by the <laughs> end they're going they're going way fast, and it's today that we they'd never allow that. You got to be on the grid and no. rolls into the click track, and it's horrible. So it's, I mean, uh, Charlie Watt, Charlie Watts, who recently passed away, would not survive the Pro Tool era. They would yeah. they would have just thrown him out. Yeah, and yet yeah, he's one of the greatest drummers ever. I agree. I agree. I was a big fan for sure. 